You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. I'm Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Today on the show we are going to be beginning with a two-part series talking about the Royal Commission and Disability and First Nations people in the criminal justice system. Indigenous Australians with mental and cognitive disabilities in the criminal justice system will be discussed and we will also look at the Senate inquiry. It's a report entitled, um, well, I actually check, I will check the title with our guests later on, but the report basically has Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal contributors and it's a report that is looking at information that is going to a Senate inquiry into indefinite detention, and it's a submission. So first up, we'll be speaking with Professor Eileen Baldry, and after that, we'll be speaking with Patrick Kaiser. Patrick Kaiser is the Chair of Law and Public Policy and Head of School, La Trobe Law School. Eileen Baldry will be up first, and I'll just give listeners a little bit of an idea of her bio. She's the Deputy Vice-Chancellor, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion, and Professor of Criminology at New South Wales, Sydney. Professor Baldry has held senior positions in the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences, serving as Interim Dean, Associate Dean Education and Deputy Dean, and is appointed the first female Deputy Vice-Chancellor at New South Wales. Professor Baldry has taught social policy, social development and criminology over the past 30 years. Her research and publications focus on social justice and include mental health and cognitive disability in the criminal justice system, criminalised women and Indigenous Australian women and youth, education, training and employment for prisoners and ex-prisoners, homelessness and transition from prison. Indigenous justice, Indigenous social work, community development and social housing and disability services. Professor Baldry has been and is a chief investigator on numerous Australian research council and other grants over the past 25 years, contributes to commissions and inquiries and has published over 130 peer-reviewed books, articles and reports. She has been involved in a voluntary capacity with a number of development and justice community organisations and is currently a director on the board of the Public Interest Advocacy Centre. And she served as chair of a number of homelessness and justice-related committees. 
And there's so much more. I think it would take up a whole show. She's done a lot of amazing stuff. And we'll be speaking with her um, shortly about the criminal justice system, which is an important area of inquiry for the Royal Commission into violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation of people with disability, the Royal Commission. People with disability may come into contact with the criminal justice system as a victim of crime, a person accused or suspected of a crime, or as a witness to a crime. People with disability, including young people, are overrepresented across the criminal justice systems in Australia and are at a heightened risk of violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation in criminal justice settings. What we'll be speaking with um, with Eileen and also Patrick is we will be looking at people with cognitive and or psychosocial disability who are significantly overrepresented amongst the group who are charged with or accused with, of criminal offences. We'll also look at First Nations people and have a look at First Nations people with disability facing particular disadvantages in the criminal justice system. And next week, after we speak with Eileen and Patrick, Eileen and Patrick are contributors to this research and they are um, non-Aboriginal, we will then speak with Peter and Eileen and I will announce that at the end of the show and talk a little bit about her and what we'll be doing next week. And now we're going to be going out with a quick announcement and we'll speak with Eileen. Sixteen days of action against gender-based violence, November 25 to December 10. In the lead-up to Human Rights Day 2020, 3CR's feminist and gender activists bring you grassroots content demanding change for the annual 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence campaign. Visit 3cr.org.au forward slash 16 days of action. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And I'd like to welcome Professor Eileen Baldry to the, well, not to the studio, it's remotely, but welcome Eileen to the show. Oh, look, thanks so much, Marissa. It's lovely to have you. Now, Eileen, I've done enough talking and I'm, I'm just going to hand it over to you now. And I'm wondering if you would be able to talk to us just a little bit about what's happening with First Nations people and people with disability in the criminal justice system. And I believe there was a, a submission that you were involved with. Yeah, so uh, look, first I'll give a bit of a background to this, that um, for a long time, um, we've known that um, First Nations people are increasingly overrepresented in all aspects of the criminal justice system. So it's also really important to think about all of those factors in the criminal justice system or the aspects of the system. There's the police, there's the courts, there's prisons, there's community um, uh, detention or uh, community um, ways of, of holding people. There's parole. There's uh, a whole range of aspects that come into play here, as well as what's called the forensic uh, system. And forensic system is that part of both criminal justice and mental health or psychiatric work, which picks up that uh, someone has committed an offence, uh, 
but this has been largely driven by their psychosocial um, the, the issues that they may be experiencing. And, and they may be held indefinitely in detention, and I know we're going to talk about that, and, and I think Patrick is particularly um, the, the person to discuss that with. Um, and so when we're thinking about the criminal justice system, we're thinking about a lot of systems. Uh, and we're also talking about eight different jurisdictions. Every state in Australia has its own criminal justice system with all of those factors. And they all behave a little bit differently and all have quite different profiles, particularly for First Nations Australians. And, and so all of those things become really important for people with disability when we know that uh, in general, whether you're Aboriginal or not Aboriginal um, or First Nations or not First Nations person, uh, people with disability are significantly overrepresented uh, in the criminal justice system. And that is particularly the case for people with psychosocial or mental health concerns or issues, as well as for people with cognitive or neurodiverse issues. And, and that um, it's also the case, actually, um, uh, as I, th I think many of your listeners will know, that uh, in um, First Nations people are more likely to have um, particular forms of um, disability, aspects of disability. Hearing impairment is uh, more common amongst um, First some First Nations people. Um, and so these are all really important to consider when somebody is uh, facing uh, the police, for example. So do the police recognise or know that the person that they might be thinking about um, arresting or picking up or um, cautioning, do they know that that person has a disability? And in many instances, they don't. And that then often is the gateway for people to enter the, the first phase of the criminal justice system. Um, and I think the other thing that is really important in this area for people to know is that um, uh, First Nations children are far more likely than uh, non-First Nations children to... Um, enter the criminal justice system via the police on the whole, but enter the system um, significantly earlier than uh, those who are not First Nations children. And that, uh, you know, so sort of follows a whole range of things, including racism and, um, and the way in which many Aboriginal uh, First Nations kids are viewed by our systems, by police, by, by others. And, and that means that they are far more likely, that First Nations people are far more likely from a younger age to be captured, um, caught in that web of criminal justice involvement uh, and to have disability because it is more likely that those children have a disability than it is for non-First 
First Nations children. So that, that perhaps, Marissa, that, that is just a painting a bit of a picture sure. of what we have here. Look, I'm really happy that you've given that background because at the end of the day, really what we're looking at here is that we're looking at colonisation, the fact that colonisation has had a profound effect, hasn't it, and transgenerational trauma in regards to First Nations people and then compounded with that, you've got your, your, the, the disability. And, and sometimes isn't it true that people with disabilities end up being in prison even though they haven't committed any crime? Yeah, so the, the, the issue there is, you're absolutely right. So the first thing to say is uh, that um, colonisation continues for, and I know your listeners know this and you know this, but colonisation continues for First Nations people in Australia. And this area of criminal justice is one of the key areas where it is actually getting far worse and where um, the way in which colonisation um, acts out for First Nations people makes it um, so, so difficult for First Nations people to um, move outside of that. So, you know, that is so important and we need to decolonise, absolutely. But then coming to the issue around um, whether uh, people, whether they're First Nations or not, um, persons with disability... Um, may well be imprisoned or caught up in the criminal justice system, um, even if they have not uh, um, offended, is is a really important question because here is where um, concerns about someone's behaviour, for example, may be interpreted as this person is offending even though the behaviour is caused by their disability or is, is a part of their disability. And we can talk about that in a minute if, um, sure. if you wish. But, um, uh, but the police and the courts may not view it that way. And so it may be that someone has behaved in a particular way, which in other circumstances may be seen as offending, um, but in this case should not be seen as offending. I think there's another couple of things that are really important to understand here. Um, I'm sorry about my that noise all the time. I don't know how to turn it off. No, it's, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, um, and, and these are that uh, we, we have a system that we have inherited um, from Britain. Um, But we have a a kind of an Anglo um, system which assumes, in a way, that uh, people with cognitive issues, people with mental health issues, people um, who, who have a range of disabilities, that, in fact, they are more likely to offend. And it's, it, it, there was, in fact, um, a, a way in which it was that that was almost the definition 
of um, somebody offending that, uh, well, yes, of course, they're, um, you know, they, they, uh, they've got a disability and, and that means they're more likely to offend. So that is a kind of underlying... Yeah, that's right. It's an underlying almost assumption. And also c- and coupled then, with racial profiling yeah, as well. Exactly. You And you add First Nations or, you know, or an Indigenous status to that. Um, and, you know, there, there you are. You know, it just, it, it, it becomes um, almost self-fulfilling. And then maybe the third thing to say about this is that... Uh, Middle class or wealthier um, people with disability, on the whole, do not end up in prison. Do not end up, even if they are, even if the police pick them up, they have a community or they have the funds or they have a family um, who knows how to work the system. And there isn't the assumption that, um, you know, well, you know, they're, they're... um, it, it, they're offending, they're doing a criminal act rather than, oh, you know, there's there's something going on for this uh, person and we should try to um, scare them away <laughs> from prison. Um, and, uh, and so this is also then so clearly linked up with disadvantage and um, poorer... Uh, communities or communities with poorer job prospects um, and and First Nations Australian people uh, are more likely to be in communities, even though those communities might be very strong in terms of their care and love and support for their community members. They are more likely to be in uh, remote or rural or communities in the city uh, that have um, poorer access to good services, to education, to um, employment, uh, and to the kinds of supports that people with disability need. Um, so all of these things come together to make it more likely that um, a First Nations person with disability is um, almost... Um, you know, is, is more likely to end up being caught up in the criminal justice system. Eileen, and then sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering um, if. Sorry to interrupt there, but I'm just no, conscious no, no, that no, we're we're going to run out of time, time. fairly soon. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and we, yes. we, I'd like to have you back at some stage. And and it's really great that you've been able to highlight all that. Before we actually go into more specifics about that, I'm wondering, could you just set the scene in regards to this research that you have conducted in regards to other contributors as well, and I understand that there are Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal contributors yes. in this report, could you just name the report where this research is contained and and talk about where we can get that? Or is it a submission? So, so are, you, are you talking about the indefinite detention of persons with disability? Yes. Or... Are, yeah. Um, look, there are a number of um, aspects to that. Uh, one is that in 2016, um, the, there was 
a report from the government um, on indefinite detention of people with cognitive and psychiatric impairment in Australia. So that, you know, that was a, um, a first pass, if you like, at this important area. And then there have been a number of further reports, and I think Patrick might um, be a bit um, uh, clearer about this. Yes. Um, in regard to uh, in, uh, Indigenous Australians or First Nations people uh, and um, indefinite detention. Right. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, so um, people like, um, like First Nations... Uh, disability uh, network, which is the, a national um, body uh, which works on these matters, is is very closely involved in this. But there's a, a range of people around Australia who have fought around this issue, um, and there are some standout cases that uh, some that Patrick can probably um, give clearer information about. But then on top of that. There have been a number of submissions to the NDI, the, the, the Senate um, Standing Committee on the NDIS, where um, a number of us, including Patrick um, Kaiser, uh, Patrick McGee, myself, um, First Nations people, have been um, putting in their, um, their submissions saying uh, it is even worse for um, First Nations people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, um, in regard to indefinite detention uh, for those with cognitive and psychiatric impairment in Australia um, and, um, and arguing for the absolute importance of getting rid of indefinite detention um, across Australia. Um, and I might add to that, although it's not in that report, I might add to that there is another really, really important area that I feel very strongly about and that many of my colleagues feel very strongly about, including um, Peter McGilvery, who you'll be interviewing next week. Um, and that is to raise the age of criminal responsibility. At the moment in Australia, the age of criminal responsibility is 10 um, that is so um, uh, poorly viewed across the world. Um, it is also completely out of step with the United Nations and with the rights of the child. Um, because what this means, is particularly with for kids uh, and Aboriginal kids, because Aboriginal kids are the most overrepresented in juvenile uh, justice, yep. uh, massively so, more so than in the adult system. And um, and a lot of that has to do with this very low age of criminal responsibility that Australia has. So, you know, there's a, a number of really important things that quite a number of us have been trying to add in to this. And all of this is also going into the Royal Commission. Um, so we're making these submissions to the Senate, uh, to government, but very particularly to the Royal Commission because the Royal Commission 
we um, we all know already has begun to make some very important, uh, give some important reports and to make some very important recommendations already around uh, areas that are not necessarily criminal justice, but um, but ha- that are um, pertinent to criminal justice. And is there a website that listeners can access to read read these reports and indeed read up about the Royal yeah. Commission? Uh, right. So um, if you want, anybody who wants to look at the um, reports that have come out of the Senate, of the Parliament of Australia, the Upper House, um, you go to, par- you just go into Parliament of Australia, that's APH, um, Australian Parliament, and it's aph.gov.au, and, and you can search for, um, uh, you can put in indefinite detention, for example. Um, you can put in um, NDIS. Uh, so there's... Um, Different you areas. You can go searching. Yeah, that's right. As, as long as you get into the Parliament of Australia. And then as far as the Royal Commission is concerned, um, the, uh, um, the Disability Royal Commission has its own site uh, and... That is, um, I'll just uh, tell you what that is. Um, it is uh, our, our schedule, our Royal Commission. Um, that is at... Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's fine. Um, that's okay. There's hearings the next year, I think, for the Royal Commission, aren't there? The, the hearing, well, the, the hearings have been going on. Yeah. Um, for the last year, but the hearings around criminal justice are next year. In February. And, People um, can always February, Google the Royal correct. Commission anyway, isn't it? And um, just for listeners... That's right. It's, yeah, that's right. It, it is, um, it is uh, my, uh, disability.royalcommission.gov.au. Thank you so much, so, Professor Ryan. You know, yeah, you just go into that. So yep. we've got a couple of minutes left, and... I wanted to thank you so much for coming on to the, the program and we'll, we'll have you back on, I'm sure, next year. But that's just a little bit of a taste, isn't it? And I know you and I were speaking off air about, you know, interviewing both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal contributors. And yeah. you, you've done some excellent research. You know, Patrick, who I'll be interviewing next, is going to talk about indefinite detention. But I'm wondering... Could you just give a little bit of a blurb about Peter, um, who I'll be interviewing this yeah. month? She's Aboriginal herself, isn't she? Yeah, she is. So I'd love, love to talk a little about um, yeah. Peter McGillivray. Um, so um, Peter McGillivray has been uh, a member of the research that we've been doing around Indigenous Australians with mental and cognitive disability and has continued, with, once we finished that um, a couple of years ago, has continued to work... Uh, with our research team, um, particularly around uh, the um, children with disability who have ended up in the criminal justice system, Aboriginal children. Um, And uh, Peter is a lawyer. uh, She graduated some years ago with um, arts law from UNSW. She's just finishing a criminology master's uh, degree in which she has focused very much in these the areas that we're talking about, um, and and she'll be starting a PhD next year. But the other thing about um, Peter is that along with another wonderful 
um, Aboriginal woman who um, gained her doctorate um, a year or two ago uh, who worked with us, um, Dr Elizabeth McIntyre, um, that Peter and, and Elizabeth were the, the Aboriginal team, the two Aboriginal women who engaged directly with Aboriginal community people, people with disability, people who had experience, lived experience of the criminal justice system, their families, the people who work with them, the elders in those communities. Um, over a number of years, as we listened to and heard the stories and narratives and experiences... That's what we need to uh, concentrate on next people. week, I think. Yeah, um, and and Peter will be able to give you some really rich and really important information. Um, and and I really emphasise that because this is um, this knowledge is owned by those Aboriginal people, um, and they are the people who have experienced this, have lived this, and. Um, as you know, as as um, a white person, uh, you know I have learned how important it is that Aboriginal voices are preferenced here. That Aboriginal voices are the ones who are heard because they are the ones who know what happens to them and their community and their families. Eileen, thank you so much for coming onto the program, and this, this is indeed. Um, fantastic that you've been able to come on and also that we've been able to introduce um, Peter and and in fact this show is also disability led because I also um, am a woman with a a vision impairment and I'd like to interview you someday about you know Aboriginal people with vision impairments at some stage I'm sure we could talk about that sometime another day yeah that that'd be fantastic I'd love that Arlene, thank all you. good. Look, thank you so much. Really, really lovely talking with you, Marissa. You too. And, you know, that, that just scratches the surface. Look, we, we could be here all night, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> and, yeah, we absolutely could. <laughs> but we'll, it's, you've given a very concise um, introduction and, and about the Royal Commission on Disability and we'll talk to Patrick next. Thanks so much. Okay, fantastic. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Professor Eileen Baldry and she was speaking about... First Nations and people with disability with in specifically with cognitive and psychiatric impairments and the criminal justice system and she gave a bit of an overview about the Royal Commission. La Mama is thrilled to reopen and welcome you back to the theatre from the 5th through to the 20th of December. The program includes a two-week season of Iranian Bauhaus by Alna Sheskalani, a series of play readings curated by Rosemary Johns and the first live La Mama Poetica since March. To ensure the comfort and safety of audiences, artists and staff, La Mama's put together a COVID-safe plan in line with the Victorian government guidelines. You can see all the information on La Mama's COVID safety page. Check out lamama.com.au for all information. La Mama is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio.
and you're back with the Doing Time show. And I'd like to now welcome um, Patrick to the show, Patrick Kaiser. Hello, Patrick. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. How are you going? Good, good. And I, I want to apologise in the way that I actually asked you onto the show. It was very spontaneous. So I hope it was, it was okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I just rang you out of the blue. And yeah, no, that's fine. I, 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 I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to um, talk to you on uh, 3CR, which is a wonderful radio station that does great work. Absolutely, and they've, we've done a lot of work actually during the, the pandemic as well about coronavirus-related um, issues, in, in particular in regards to racial profiling of First Nations people. Yeah, right on. I think community radio has been doing a, an extremely important job in the last uh, 12 months in particular. Absolutely. So, Patrick, can you just introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit about your background? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a professor of law, um, recently uh, left La Trobe University and joining the Australian Catholic University, but I'm also a barrister and from time to time I've been representing Indigenous people with disability who are in indefinite detention and I've done a little bit of work with your previous guest, uh, Professor Baldry, and um, recently was representing a fellow in... um, uh, who's in a forensic disability unit in Alice Springs in his uh, Supreme Court hearing a couple of weeks ago and also doing a bit of research with um, a wonderful Aboriginal researcher uh, from Queensland named um, Jennifer Cullen and also Professor Elizabeth Kendall from Griffith University. They've got a project that's examining the disability needs of Indigenous prisoners. So um, much the same area that uh, uh, Professor Baldry and um, Peter McGillivray and Elizabeth McIntyre have been um, looking at in the last few years. Thanks so much. And you're based in Victoria, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm here in Melbourne. Fantastic. The famous hard lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, you know, um, in England, uh, I think they had 750 cases the same time we did. Oh. Um, and, uh, well, you only have to um, switch on the news to see um, how many people have perished there. It's terribly sad. Oh, it Whereas, is awful, um, awful. You know, there were times when we were going through our lockdown here where I thought it was never going to end, and and frankly, I was growing a bit tired of it near the end. But um, uh, look at the results. It was uh, an unmitigated success. Indeed it was. Indeed it was. And I was, I was particularly concerned about... Um, the in detention of Aboriginal people in the way they were not yeah. just Aboriginal people, but everybody that was homeless was treated with such cruelty, um, and the the pandemic made it worse because they they could have caught the virus. Yeah, well, look, I think um, you know, I, I I think we've got to give some um, some credit to um, state government, certainly yep. um, the Victorian state government for providing um, accommodation to people uh, in, um, you know, during during that period. In I'm the end, that, in the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's approximately 4.35 and um, we've got a two-part series on the Do and Time show in regards to disability, um, people with disability and First Nations people. Patrick, it's so lovely to have you on the show. I'm wondering, could you talk about indefinite detention and talk a little bit about what you've been doing in terms of research um, in regards to First Nations people and disability? Yeah, sure thing. So, look, um, I, I think um, 
your listeners would be well aware that um, Indigenous Australians are chronically overrepresented in um, closed environments, in uh, in prisons, um, and in forensic disability units. And um, if a person has significant uh, disability and uh, they come into contact with the criminal justice system, uh, then in, in every state and territory of Australia, the um, courts have the power to order um, the indefinite detention of such a person. Um, typically, they'll be in a prison environment um, until um, you know the sentence uh, for which they would have been found guilty had they gone through an ordinary criminal trial would have lasted. Uh, but then after uh, that period, they're usually placed in a forensic disability unit um, and some of some of these facilities are closed off to the the public, of course, um, and there may be limited opportunities for uh, guardians or um, NDIS um, uh, plan coordinators to assist those people. Um, so um, one of the things uh, I'm involved in at the moment is this project with Griffith University and Synapse. Um, and we're um, examining the um, disability needs of Indigenous prisoners uh, to work out um, how their needs are um, assessed and monitored and catered to during the prison journey and also um, as, as they re-enter the community. Fantastic. And I understand that you were involved in a, in a submission to a Senate inquiry. Is that, is that part of the Royal Commission? Yeah. Uh, no, so... so um, so there was a Senate inquiry um, about four years ago, um, 2016 from memory, um, and I was uh, one of a team of people, including uh, Professor Eileen Baldry, um, who prepared um, a series of submissions. And then those submissions were edited by Scott Avery, who uh, oh. used to be with First People's Disability Network, and he's now a uh, senior lecturer at uh, Western Sydney University. Um, and uh, so Scott and I uh, co-edited that um, selection of submissions that went to the Senate inquiry. Um, and as Professor Baldry explained earlier, um, you know, if you, if you have a Google search engine or something like that and you type in Australia, Parliament, Senate, indefinite detention, then you'll come across um, their report and our submissions. More recently... Uh, I've been working on a submission to the Disability Royal Commission, uh, which will be um, convening hearings in February on this particular on, on this very issue. Can you talk uh, about that? I'm, yeah, so um, so that submission I've, I've I've sent in a draft, um, and that submission's under embargo until uh, until February, but it will be um, made public in February, uh, and then I'll um, uh, go up to Brisbane and answer questions. Uh, for the Disability Royal Commission on this topic. They're very concerned about the treatment of Indigenous people in forensic disability units and their access to uh, services that are consistent with their human rights. So would that also... Would some of those concerns be forced medication? Look, uh, chemical restraint is a, um, is a significant issue. Um, it, it's been acknowledged in the Supreme Court of the Northern Territory that uh, um, you need to have specific statutory powers to authorise uh, the chemical restraint of a person. Um, and there are a series of um, provisions in the Disability Services Act um, in the Northern Territory 
that authorise chemical restraint, but it has to be done under very strictly controlled circumstances. Um, one thing that's a little bit unusual about the Northern Territory, though, is that chemical restraint can be used for preventive reasons, uh, and that's, uh, that causes disability advocates uh, a number of serious concerns. Yeah, that, that's true. So, so will that mm. be brought up, do you think, at the Commission? Absolutely, yeah. I think that's going to be a subject of some interest um, to the Disability Royal Commission in, in February. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm anticipating that they will express concern about the practice. You know, Patrick, it, it's, it's really interesting, as you've been speaking, I've been thinking about what, you know, I, I hear a lot from people with disability and, and some Aboriginal people and they say, well, I mean, I've also, I'm also a woman with a disability myself. I have a vision impairment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we often say in our communities is, well, what's going to happen? I mean, it's good to do the Royal Commission and to have issues, papers, and look at indefinite detention and look at, you know, some of the issues that's happening with the NDIS, for instance. But those recommendations... They will be impl- will they ever be implemented? Isn't it? Isn't it just well, in theory? Look, I certainly hope so. I mean, um, I, I can understand. Um, you know, as as a person with a disability, you would well understand that. You know, there were decades and decades where not very much was done for people with disabilities, uh, and it was it wasn't really until you know the years leading up to the NDIS that state government started to invest you know, significant amounts of money in disability services. And really, uh, a lot of what's been happening with the NDIS is basically paying, playing catch-up. So, and, 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 and the coverage of NDIS services and access to NDIS services still needs to be improved. And there are plenty of rural commissions that That's have been an understatement. called at the Commonwealth level and the state level and their recommendations are gathering dust on the shelf. Um, I think with the Disability Royal Commission, I'm hopeful that we'll see something a bit different because um, in in the last seven or eight years, I mean, leading up to the NDIS, people with disability really started to get traction with government. And this this is the thing about disability. Um, You know, disability is an issue not just for one side of politics, uh, everybody in Australia is touched by disability. You, you either have a disability or you know someone who's got a disability or you've got a family member with a disability or what have you. It's common. Uh, and um, I, 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 think it, I think the Disability Royal Commission will be a catalyst for change because I think that the federal government uh, will recognise that things need to be done in this area and I'm hopeful that they'll pass legislation that will require the states and the territories to, uh, you know, to take the steps that are necessary to ensure that people with disability have their human rights realised. It's it's a long journey. Um, it's a journey that, uh, you know, it's it's never over. Uh, you know, disability advocates know that, uh, you know, you have to keep at it. Uh, but I'm 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 feeling. Um, I'm feeling a measure of confidence about the work of the Disability Royal Commission. They've been very deliberate in how they've been going about things. They've been very thorough in their research. Uh, And in my discussions with them, they've been very, very engaged with the issues. 
It's really interesting, Patrick. I mean, having a look at um, some material here in regards to a lot of researchers in this area are saying that there needs to be appropriate support services provided to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with cognitive and psychiatric impairments. And it talks a lot about, you know, protocols and training and and guidelines. But when you really look at the situation, um, it's also what about systemic racism as well? Wouldn't that also play a yeah, major role? Look- how can oh, look, we overcome uh, that? Uh, look, I, I think that I think that's a significant issue, and I think um, you know the very first thing that needs to be um, uh, the, the the most important thing that we need to do is to ensure that services are provided uh, that are culturally safe. You know, cultural cultural safety is absolutely critical in this area. Um, it's vital that uh, Indigenous people be able to access services and services in their own languages. Um, you know, so many assumptions are made uh, by people who don't speak Indigenous languages about how people are understanding what's being said, the services that are being provided to them. You know, we absolutely need to ensure that Indigenous people with disability are getting services in in their language and services that are appropriate to them and services that are requested by them. I mean, that's, you know, the whole the whole um, rationale behind the NDIS was that people with disability should be able to decide what services they want. Ah. It was it, <laughs> it's supposed to be about person-centered Sorry. planning. I'm not and, here to, I'm not laughing at you I suppose. I'm just having a bit of a a bit of a, a sarcastic moment. I'm sorry, Patrick. Sure. Because uh that that doesn't always happen. It's not the right arena Indeed. for me to talk about. I would like to talk you talk to you off air um, about the NDIS. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Look, um, I've 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 represented people who've uh, who have appealed uh, decisions of the NDIS uh, into the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. So I'm I'm well aware of the fact that uh, many people uh, uh, are dissatisfied with um, the NDIS. Uh, but um, certainly, I've seen uh, I've seen a number of people uh, get significantly improved services. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, compared to the services that they were getting from um, uh, state government services before the NDIS came into yeah. came into it, place. But as I said before, the journey's never over. The know? journey's never <laughs> over, Patrick. So they but, need to keep going. But Patrick, I think it's it's great that you've come onto the show and. Um, I'm not sure whether you heard about Mr. Kennedy um, from Victoria, who was an, an Aboriginal guy with with some mental health um, going on, mental health issues going on. And Mr. Kennedy was was actually apprehended by the police, and he was homeless, and there were massive, massive errors made in his case and he didn't have anywhere to live and then they wanted to put him in prison and there were mistakes with the paperwork and that was a lot of miscommunication. Would, would you say that's relevant to um, to this topic? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, look, uh, you know, there are, I, I, I can think of 40 or 50 years worth of reports about how people with disability um, who um, come into contact with the criminal justice system uh, have had extremely negative and poor outcomes 
um, from our service systems. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think the NDIS is a panacea. Uh, and, in fact, the, you know, really, the NDIS is only just now starting to work out how it can be integrated with the justice system. So NDIS justice liaison officers for each state and territory have only been appointed relatively recently. Um, so, you know, we've got a long way to go to make sure that the rights of people with disability uh, who come into contact with the criminal justice system are realised. I mean, there's, there's miles and miles to go, um, especially in this context. Absolutely, and it's it's so important, isn't it, to, to have a look at that. Are there any other comments that you wanted to make in, in regards to transgenerational trauma and any comments about that and how that could contribute as well to First Nations people being in the criminal justice yeah, system? Yeah, I mean, certainly. And I, and I think, um, you know, I think um, a lot of people are realising that intergenerational trauma um, is, uh, you know, deeply affects many, many Indigenous people. Uh, and it needs to be part and parcel of how we think about services, how services are delivered. Um, and it just reinforces that point I was making earlier sure. about the need to deliver services in a culturally safe way. Um, and I was, I was delighted to hear um, Professor Baldry talk about the importance of Indigenous voices in the research that she's doing. This um, project I was mentioning before that uh, Elizabeth Kendall and Jennifer Cullen are doing um, about assessing the disability needs of Indigenous prisoners, um, all of the community consultations are entirely made up of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people. Uh, so, um, and, and we've got cultural safety and cultural guidance at every step of the way in that research. And, and that's really something that has only really emerged fully in the last 10 or 15 years. You know, people, researchers are realising um, quite appropriately, very, very importantly, that the Indigenous voice needs to be at the centre of the research. You know, uh, in, Indigenous voices, Indigenous people need to be guiding the research, controlling the research, leading the research. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I'm very excited about the Griffith University project, uh, which I think is going to produce great outcomes, just like uh, Professor Baldry's wonderful project. Absolutely. And I, and I think what what's important here, and I was talking to a couple of people off air about this because I, I was asked some questions. Well, the, well, the, the interviews that, that you're doing, Marissa, are they going to be Aboriginal-led? Now, I'll be interviewing Peter next Monday, and she's a... Um, an Aboriginal woman that's going to be talking about stories emerging out of um, First Nations and, dis and people with disabilities and prisons. Yeah. But I think what's important to look at here is that we all work together and it's really about creating a united front and it's looking at the fact that whether it's Aboriginal-led or not, yes, it's important for it to be Aboriginal-led, but at the same time, there are also your allies, and there's we and you, you and Professor Baldry are allies, aren't you, of this work? Absolutely, and supporters, not yeah, in a no, paternalistic I, I, manner. You hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah. You know, really, I think, um, and and I think the Disability Royal Commission will be a, will be a catalyst for uh, recognition of the work that um, 
researchers and advocates have been doing on this issue for a long time. Uh, you know, like you and like all of your listeners, um, you know, I'm dismayed. Uh, I've been dismayed by the failure of Australia to meet the closing the gap targets. I understand that those targets have been replaced now and revamped, but still the important thing is we've got to be reaching these targets. We have to be doing more uh, to, to, um, you know, to, make the, to, to make Australia a better place for Indigenous people. After all, it is their land. They never ceded it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's absolutely vital uh, that vulnerable people in the criminal justice context and people with disability in the criminal justice context are vulnerable, that their human rights are realised, that their human rights are supported, uh, that they that they have the opportunity to speak truth to power um, and ensure that our criminal justice system can be uh, you know can be as as good as it can possibly be. Absolutely, and and really, it's it's about um, doing the work together. Yes. Isn't it? And because look, I've been doing this show. I think I've, I've been at Three Sour now. I think for about twenty-two years, and I've done quite a, a few shows, and I've interviewed many, many. I'd say hundreds and, and thousands of Aboriginal people, and their lawyers, and their supporters, and their allies. And that's really important. And of course, we can't forget also, Patrick, um, about Aboriginal deaths in custody, and about no. the responsibilities of the police and the in the cells to to look after people in custody. There are lots of deaths, as you know, in custody. Yeah, Auntie Tanya Day died in custody, didn't she? And she acquired yeah. a head in, a brain injury because of the negligence of um, of police, um, which which were the, some of the findings of the inquest. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, I know. Um you know, the uh, Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody is almost 30 years old, and it's 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 tragic that it's almost 30 years old, and so many of its recommendations, um, you know, remain unimplemented, and and uh, uh, you know, and and we we have so much left to do. Indeed, we do, Patrick. And I hope I don't sound too confronting, but this show is a bit confronting <laughs> sometimes. But um, it's lovely to have you, and that's why you know the Royal Commission. Sometimes the the, the term Royal Commission makes me cringe. You know, it's, mm. it makes me cringe. And I'm hoping that the, the the Royal Commission into Disability is able to do better. You know. Yes. Any final final comments, Patrick? Oh no! Look, I just thank you for the opportunity to um, speak to you and your listeners, and um, uh, you know, I, I'm. Uh, I'm delighted that uh, there's a radio station out there that's focusing on these very important issues. So congratulations to you and to 3CR for uh, taking an interest in in, in this area of research and uh, I commend you. And congratulations to you, Patrick, for lasting so long in, in the in the in the industry. <laughs> As we all know. <laughs> It's 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 been it's been my pleasure. It's uh, I can't tell you how fulfilling it is to do this work. I it mean, is. it really is. Um, you know, it's an end in itself. It, it really is incredibly fulfilling to do this work, and uh, you know, I, I just feel very blessed and fortunate to be able to do it. 
Absolutely. And, and thank you for giving 3CR a plug. Thanks so much. Pleasure. It's approximately 4.55 and we've got about two minutes before we're out of here. Patrick, thank you so much and we'll talk very soon. Good on you, Marissa. Take care. Take care. And that was Patrick um, Kaiser um, from the Faculty of Law. He's the head of the law school at La Trobe, um, speaking about the Royal Commission, and we got into a very interesting discussion there. Australia's first LGBTIQ plus purpose-built centre opens early 2021, and we need your support. Be a giver this Christmas and send your loved ones a gift of pride. The Victorian Pride Centre has launched unique gift cards to fundraise fitting out the centre and they're the queer holiday cards of dreams. These affordable gifts and fun stocking fillers support the LGBTIQ community. Gifts of pride can be purchased with a few clicks. Head to pridecentre.org.au to start shopping and subscribe. The Victorian Pride Centre is a 3CR supporter. And this is a doing time show, 3CR Community Radio. It's approximately 4.56 and just wanted to thank Professor Arlene Baldry and also Patrick as well for both coming onto the show and talking about First Nations people and people with disabilities and the Royal Commission. So stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the doing time show and we'll be going out pretty soon with our Theme song, Black Fellow, White Fellow by the Rumpy Band. Special cheerio also to Peter, Rob and Indy. And thank you very much and take care of each other. Bye.